All right, we're in this morning. We're uh, in Psalm 18. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to split this psalm up between two weeks, so we're doing the first half today, so we'll just read through verse 19, and it should be printed there in your worship guide. Psalm 18. For the director of music, of David, servant of the Lord, he sang to the Lord the words of this song, and the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said... I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. The Lord is my rock of whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death confronted me. And in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew, his sword in the wings of the wind. He made the darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. And out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning, and the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and he took a hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. And he rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thank you. God. Amen. You can be seated. Man, what a song. This is like a... It's big and grand and dramatic and all this imagery. This is, this is a really good one. They're all good ones. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, let's talk about it. Psalm 18. Uh, standard disclaimer, there's a ton here. There's a lot here, which means that we're not going to be able to hit everything, but I, I do want to show you the high points. I want to show you the big idea here. The title, the, 
prescript gives us a clue about how we should interpret the song. It says that it's for the director of music. That means that this was written uh, for the people of Israel to sing congregationally. This was uh, the psalm of, of David. David wrote this, but presented it to the to, to the worship leader uh, who led the people of God in the psalm. So this is this is a song for everybody. All the people of God should be able to sing this. That's the idea. Then it says of David, the servant of the Lord. So that's King David, King David from the Bible. He wrote this. When, when did he write it? Well, he wrote it, uh, he sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, David was a warrior king. He spent almost his entire life uh, as a leader of God's people, uh, as a war leader, as a military leader. And it says that he wrote this, or he sang this, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, the text of this psalm that appears here, we just have the first half in your worship guide. There's 50 verses of it. If you turn back in your Bible to the book of 2 Samuel, David's life can be found throughout the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. If you look at 2 Samuel, near the end of the book, near the end of David's life, he's an old, tired, old king. This is near the end of his life when he sort of drifted away from God. His faith were a little bit cold, well, a lot cold. Not much going on in David's life. Well, near the end of his life, there's this story. It happens in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And it's a story about how the last descendants of Saul's family that could have taken claim to the throne, remember Saul was the king before David. David wasn't one of his sons. So the last of Saul's sons that could have challenged David's throne were finally apprehended and, let's call it vanquished. They, they no longer posed a threat to the throne that God had given David. So things happened where those guys came under arrest and they were no longer a threat. So that happened in 2 Samuel 21. And then in the same chapter, around the same time, some things happened with the family members and with the brothers of the giant Goliath. Remember Goliath, the Philistine champion that David fought when he was just a young boy, shepherd boy, the story of kids, you know, David and Goliath, you know the story? This was long before David became the king, although we knew he was going to be the king. The Philistines were the enemies of the people of Israel. They had been raiding and attacking and there was this big standoff, and the Philistines sent out this nine-foot warrior champion, giant Goliath, who said, send me your best warrior, and all of Israel was afraid, and here comes little David. Well, David killed Goliath that day, but Goliath had brothers, and throughout David's life, Goliath's brothers were out there, and the Philistines still raided Israel. Well, in 2 Samuel 21, Around the time that the last of Saul's household was 
finally put away. So was the last of Goliath's household. The last of Goliath's little brothers finally attacked and lost their battle. And so at the end of David's life, when he was an old man, most of his rule and reign were behind him. He had sort of drifted from the Lord. He wasn't faithful anymore. Things were looking bad on his kingdom. That time, in the end of his life, through various circumstances, two of the biggest enemies that he had the whole time he was king were finally no longer a threat. And then in 2 Samuel 22, right after all of that, King David stands up and he sings a song. And the song that he sings in 2 Samuel 22 is almost exactly, with a few variations, Psalm 18. Now, Psalm 18 says, for the choir master, which means that David wrote it and presented it to the worship leader of the people of God. Here, this is for people to sing. So we can look at it and see, here's what happened. At the end of his life, David, his enemies were finally vanquished. He stands up and he sings this beautiful song. And then later, he goes back and he takes it, makes a few edits and submits it for the people of God. And that's what we have as Psalm 18. That's pretty cool. So there's your background, there's your content. Now what about the song itself? Now, we know it's a worship song for the people of God, but what kind? There's all kinds of worship songs that we find here in these psalms. Well, if we look at the psalm itself, the first line, and then again the last line, which you don't have any worship down, but I'll read it to you, verse 50. Tell us what kind of song it is. The first line, verse 1, says, I love you, Lord, my strength. Now, the word for love that's used in verse 1 is not your standard Hebrew word for love. It's kind of an obscure, uh, rarely occurring in the Bible, Hebrew Bible word for love. In fact, most of the time that it appears is translated compassion. And that's because it's, it's, it's like the mushy kind of love. It's like, it's, Sometimes we talk about love, you know, love not being as much a feelings thing, but being a, you know, a decision or a commitment or an action, things like that. There's some truth to those things, but this, this kind of love that we see in verse, this is the mushy feelings love. David says, I love you, Lord. Mushy feelings love. My strength. That's verse one. At the very end, verse 50, he says, God gives the king great victories and shows his unfailing love. Hebrew word there is a said. Remember that word? He talks about it. That's God's faithful covenant love. That's not just mushy feelings. That's the decision, always faithful covenant love of God. It says the king gives God gives great victories to the king, and he shows unfailing love to his anointed to David and his descendants. Descendants forever. The psalm opens and closes with love. And in the middle, we, well, get to that in a second. It opens and closes with love. What kind of psalm is this? What kind of song is it? Well, it's a worship song. What kind of worship song? 
I love song, worship song. Psalm 18 is a love song. And that should inform the way that we read it and interpret it. It's a love song. Now, let's talk about love songs for just a moment. We have love songs today. We had love songs back then. And David wrote one. Now, many of you guys know that I like to write songs. I've written songs since I was a little kid. It's been a lifelong passion and a hobby of mine. Uh, writing songs, being a songwriter. Now, there's a thing about love songs. Love songs are very popular in our culture. In fact, they're popular in lots of cultures. It's uh, something that we as human beings like to do. We like to sing and listen to songs about love. Love is a shared, universal human experience. It goes to the very foundations of who we are. So does music. So love and songs go together. Love songs are great. But let me tell you something, a little songwriter secret about love songs. Love songs are notoriously difficult to write. Talk to anybody who writes songs from like pro, super pro, you know, songwriters uh, to people who do it. Uh, who are just beginning, you know, or somebody who's somewhere in the middle has a hobby like me. Love songs are very hard to write. And I think one reason for that is because love is very hard to define and to describe. In fact, we see kind of a reflection of that here in this psalm, where David's reaching for two completely different words to describe really the same thing at the beginning and end of this song. Somebody came up to you and said, what is love? You can, it can, and it can be hard to really get down and to describe it. And love songs, for that reason, can be difficult. Sit down and write a song talking about the love that you have for somebody else. You can sit down and, and then to do it in a way that's not just terribly uh, melodramatic or cheesy is even harder. You can sit down and say, oh, my love is mushy, happy, hard. That's why a lot of love songs don't actually focus on love itself directly. But they focus on the circumstances that surround love. Maybe some story in a relationship. Maybe something that happened between two people. Or maybe the reasons that somebody has for the way that they feel, the love that they have for somebody else. Kind of like the sun. We don't look directly at the sun, but we can look all around at it like. A lot of love songs are like that. One of my favorite love songs, and I'm going to show you a little bit of my cheesiness here, and that's okay. You can laugh if you want. That's fair. You wouldn't be the first. But this song is awesome. It's the song Because You Loved Me by Celine Dion. That song is awesome. In fact, if you get our weekly email at the bottom, as I recommend music, there's a link. You can listen on Spotify to Because You Loved Me by Celine Dion. Beyond, because it's an awesome song. The reason I like that song, 
as a love song is because Celine never talks about love directly in the song. The whole song, she just lists all of the things that her partner has done in life to love her. She says, for all the times you stood by me, all the truth you made me see, all the joy you brought to my life, all the wrong you made right, for every dream you made come true, all the love I found in you, I'll be forever thankful. You're the one who held me up. We can go on and on. You were my strength when I was weak. Do you know the song? I can sing it. And then it ends with the hook is, I'm everything I am because you love me. I love turning that song on and getting cheesy because that song is awesome. Uh, love songs, you get where I'm going. The reason I'm going on and on about this is because when we look at Psalm 18, we need to look at it in this way. Psalm 18 is a love song. It opens and ends with love. And even though all throughout the middle we don't have much mention of the word love, that's what it's all about. And in fact, this song could have been titled by David. It could have borne the title because you love me. Because the whole thing is a list of things that God has done to show David his love. And the whole song is an emotion-filled, mushy, grand, even at some points we could say cheesy or venture to even say melodramatic response. It's filled with drama. God thunders and he roars and he snorts and he lightnings. The song is supposed to be grand because the love that David is expressing for God it's so grand, he can't describe it directly. Instead, he's describing the circumstances. This is fascinating, especially since it was the end of David's life when his heart had grown cold. Another thing about love songs is that love songs, if you don't know this, you should know this. Love songs are very useful. They're good tools in a relationship. If you're partnered up, married, seeing somebody, uh, a good thing to do if you're going through a season when love grows cold, do you guys share a song together that you both know or love? Some song about love? Walk over to the stereo and kick it on and turn it up and look at each other and let it stir those feelings. That's what love songs are for. I wonder if David wrote this. In order to stir the coals and the fire of his heart that had grown cold. Anyway, we'll get back to that. Let's look at a couple of points here in the middle. Let me show you some of the things that David is listing, some of the things that God had done for David. Let's analyze the song a little bit. David gets this right here in the middle. We have this grand, grandiose. Uh, Kind of like Celine, but way better. Uh, I called to the Lord is worthy of praise. He saved me from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. Cords of the grave coiled around me. Snares of death confronted me. You know, it's 
What's interesting is uh, in the story of Jonah, when Jonah sings the song about how he was thrown overboard and he almost drowned, but God saved him, he sings a song that borrows a lot of this imagery from Psalm 18. Now I bring that up because this imagery is almost like it's almost like imagery of somebody who has uh, gone underwater and is tangled up in uh, like seaweed or something, and they're getting dragged, getting pulled under. It's pretty scary. There's a, a, a torrent of destruction, like waves going over the singer, cords of the grave, circle snares of death. But he calls to the Lord, and out of the distress, he calls. And all the way to God's temple, God hears the cry. And then here he comes. Here he comes with great earthquakes and shaking mountains and smoke and consuming fire. Hailstones and bolts of lightning, thunder from heaven. The, split, the sea splits open. Pretty grand. Now, all of this, we can throw this together and we can identify two main themes that David is describing. We can sum up the whole thing and say that David's list of things God has done for him that stirs up the love in his heart, is pouring out the song, fall in two big categories. There is, a, um, there is a God as a refuge category, and then there's God as a rescuer category. God has done certain things to refuge David, and God has done certain things to rescue David. And we see the refuge piece at the beginning. I love you, Lord, my strength. He's my rock, my fortress. My, uh, in him I take refuge. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation, which means he's the source of my strength. He's my stronghold. That's refuge language. Now, remember that David wrote this after the end of Saul's family and the end of Goliath's family. These two big ongoing lifelong threats to his throne were finally vanquished. Well, if we go back to the stories of David facing Goliath and the stories of David running on the run from Saul, both of these men were trying to kill David. We see reflections of those stories here. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. Back when David was a little boy and he was fighting Goliath, do you remember what Goliath said when David came out? Goliath looked at him and he laughed and he said, merely a boy. And then David said, you come against me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, Almighty, the God of armies. I think when David says, I love you, Lord, my strength, he would have remembered this high point in his life where the strength of God overwhelmed his little boy self, and he was able to deliver all of Israel in the hand of this giant. And then he goes on, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my shield, stronghold. 
You know, when David, early after he had been anointed king, Saul would not vacate the throne. Saul chased David around the desert, trying to kill him. Saul and Saul's army, and David survived. Do you remember how? Hiding among the rocks in caves, which at the time were referred to as strongholds. David, when he talks about God being his refuge in this psalm, he is thinking back to specific points in his life, enlisting them. Lord, you were my strength. Oh, help me, I'm about to quote Celine. You were my strength when I was weak. <laughs> you see it? You were, those rocks I hid in, that was you. You see what David's doing? He's remembering God's faithfulness to him over the years. Refuge. We've talked a lot in our journey through the Psalms of God being your refuge, God being our hideout, of hiding under God. Fighting in God. And that's what David is talking about here. But these are not just ideas. This is how David actually got through life. was because of God's faithfulness to him. That's the first big category, refuge. Second big category, and he goes through, he shifts in about verse 4, away from refuge to this idea of rescue. God comes, you know, David, cords of death entangled him. He cries out, God hears in his temple, and he comes, thunder and lightning and smoke and the whole deal. Here God comes to rescue. Now, there's things in, in, the, in the poetry here, similar way that, that, that reflect back to specific, well, let me show you. It says, out of my distress, I called the Lord for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him to his ears. Remember how we talked about how in the Old Testament, the prototype story for salvation, the story that all Hebrews would have heard as a little kid, would have told to their families when they grew up. It was repeated over and over and over again in their worship times. It was the story of the Exodus. Remember that? The Hebrew mind, Old Testament Hebrew mind, when they thought about salvation, they thought about the Exodus. Well, do you remember how the Exodus story starts? Starts in Exodus, uh, in Exodus 2, 23. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God, and he heard. And he remembered his covenant. David said, I called to the Lord when I was all wrapped up in the dead. And he heard. He came. It's fascinating. David goes on and he talks about earthquake and smoke and fire as God comes to the rescue. And the language there sounds strikingly similar to the language in Exodus. When the people of Israel met God in Mount Sinai, and God appeared, how? With earthquakes and with smoke and with fire. In verse 13, it talks about God scattering David's enemies with thunder and lightning. Well, there's a story in 1 Samuel where David's old mentor, the prophet Samuel, was leading a worship service among the people at a place called Mizpah. And they were unarmed and they were unprotected. And the Philistines attacked them. 
and they were vulnerable. And they cried out to God. And God caused it to thunder so loud that the Philistines got confused in their rage. An unarmed, unprepared Israel was able to defeat them. wonder if David's thinking about that. In verse 15, we read about the valleys of the sea being exposed. Huh, I wonder if David thought about the splitting of the Red Sea where God parted the sea with the wind. You see what David's doing here when he's listing the things, the reasons God has given him to love him? In the first part, when David talks about God being a refuge, he recounts these high points in his life. In the second part, when he talks about God being a rescuer, he starts recounting high points in the life of his people, the people of Israel. As David look, tries to look into the sun, the brightness of God's love, and he can't describe it, so he starts to talk about the, the radiance around it, the things that God has done in order to show David his love. He begins to recount God's wonderful deeds, his deeds to him personally, the way that he carried him through life, how he preserved him and protected him and gave him significance and a calling and a place in the world. And then he starts to recount how God carried the people of Israel as a whole out of bondage and out of slavery and gave them salvation and put his mark on them at Sinai and preserved them as his people when they were vulnerable. Here's the point. When David starts thinking about God's love, when his heart is cold, when he's an old man who had drifted, and he needs to go over to the stereo to turn on the love song, to fill the house, to stir up his affections for his loved one, God, what he does is he begins to recall what God had done in his life and in the life of the people of whom David had a place, not home. David tried to look into God's love, and David's eyes, because of his love, was so radiant, were deterred, and what he saw was God's saving actions toward him and his people. Saving actions that gave him hope, significance, and membership, and a place in God's love. And he answered, he brought me into a spacious place because he rescued me and he delivered me. And then he moves on to another part of the song that we'll get to next week. So, Pastor Charlie, that's awesome. What am I supposed to take from this? Well, we have this image of old, grumpy old David getting out the old love song stirring up the love, trying to focus on God's love. All he could see is God's saving actions to him and these people that he belongs to. I wonder if there's anybody here that there was a time in your life where you burned with love for God, where your affections ran deep, where you were radiant and joyful, but I wonder if lately your heart maybe feels a little cold and dry. 
At the risk of being a little cheesy here, I wonder if it's been a long time since you've heard music in your heart toward God. And you want to focus, you want to know about God's love for you. You want to stare into the sun of God's goodness and God's love. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. But it's hard. It's hard to focus on. It's hard to define. And if we could look into it, it would overwhelm us. Brothers and sisters, I would invite you to turn your eyes to the long list of God's saving actions that he had carried out for you and to you. And I would encourage you to look around at the people of God among whom you have a place and with whom you belong. And let the story of God's people become your story. And did you know that God's long list of saving actions for you and to you and God's perseverance with and for and around the protection and rescuing of his people, both of these things, God has not just done in a vacuum. God has done by sending his king, the new David, the one whose heart never grew old, to be your refuge and your rescuer, our rescuer, to save us and preserve us. If we made a list today of God's saving actions towards us and God's saving actions towards his people, we could sit down and we could write a long list forever and ever of the story of our lives, things from this book, the story of our church, the history of the global church. We can go on and on and on. But in the end, we could also sit down with a piece of paper and make that list very, very short, albeit even more comprehensive. That list could be one word. And that word would be Jesus. Or maybe three words. Jesus for you. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Jesus said to his disciples, there is no love greater than this, that a man who lay down his life for his friends. And you are my Folks, God has loved us. God has loved you with an immeasurable, radiant love. And he wants you to know that love. He wants you to know him. And he invites you to sing this song. Would you look to Jesus? Jesus is the long list of everything that God has done for you. Would you receive him? Would you be radiant? Praise him.